build relationships. And, and some of you have been around long enough to remember when people naturally just had a, a support group. How many people grew up on the family farm where you had uncles and aunts and everybody raising their children together? And then we moved to the city and we had the day of the great neighborhood. I think I grew up in that day in Montgomery, Alabama. We lived on a street, the bottom of this hill. There were six families. None of our mothers worked outside the home. They met every morning for coffee. And we, we all, every birthday, every holiday, we lived life together. It was a great neighborhood. We all went to the same schools. We all shopped at the same corner grocery store, corner grocery, you know, a drugstore. And then they say we moved to the suburbs. And we're in old neighborhoods. The houses were close to the street with the big front porch and you visited with each other. We got a little more wealthy. We moved the house to the back of the lot. We put a fake front porch on and we could go in and out of our house with an automatic garage door opener and not talk to anybody. And so relationships changed. And then on top of that, we, we sped up uh, the pace of life. Have you ever noticed that good relationships are not built in a hurry? In fact, relationships normally are, are hurt when we're in too big a hurry. In fact, I would imagine there was somebody in this audience who was in a hurry to get to church this morning, and your spouse wasn't, and you got in an argument. Just raise your hand if you'd like to confess. Who, who did that this morning? There's got there's to be somebody. All right? I mean, we, there, we've got the confession over there. Thank you very much. We always get in trouble when we're in a hurry. I love a book I read a few years ago by a man named John Ortberg, and he defined what Americans have as hurry sickness. And he actually gave a couple of tests so you could find out if you had it. The first test is if you're driving down a four-lane highway and you drive up to a, a red light and the light's red and there's two lanes on your side of the highway and there's a car in each lane, okay? He said, you've got hurry sickness. If you try to figure out the year, make, and model of each car to determine which will take off the fastest. You ever done that? Or he said, you really have hurry sickness if you go to the grocery store, you go to the back, you get whatever you want, you come up to the cash register. He says, you've got hurry sickness if, first of all, you count the number of people in each aisle. Anybody guilty? Okay? He said, you're even sicker if not only do you count the number of people in each aisle, you count the number of items in each basket. Are you sick? I'm sick, okay? And then you're super sick with hurry sickness if not only do you count the number of people in each aisle and the number of items in each basket, but after you've picked your aisle, you keep up with where you would have been. <laughs> You've done that. And so what I'm saying, guys, is we live in a day where we're almost in too big a hurry. We don't shop at the corner grocery store where we knew everybody. We shop at Super Walmart where we might not know anybody. And so relationships, neighborhoods have broken down. And, and so we can bemoan that fact, we can be sad about that fact, or we could say, this is a great opportunity for God's people. Because here's what I believe. If we can become the place where people can build real friendships, real relationships, then the church could explode. And so what I'm asking you to do this weekend is simply to think about how do we do that? And obviously this weekend we're talking about small group ministry and, and how that's the place. Because guys, what we're going to do here this morning is wonderful. I love it. I love the opportunity to preach. But it's hard to build relationships looking at the back of each other's head, you know. And normally conversations aren't very deep. How are you doing? Glad to see you. How, how did it go yesterday? 
But when we get people in a circle, some things begin to happen that are very powerful. And so this morning, what I want to say to us is we need to catch a vision of what God can do. Turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. It's a very familiar passage. What I love about coming to a church like this and talking about small group ministry is I know two things. Number one, I know it's biblical, okay? You know, we're a restoration group of people. For a restoration group of people who say the book of Acts is the church the way we want it to look like, uh, to, to say small group ministry would be wrong is almost um, comical because you can't almost turn to any page in the book of Acts where they're not meeting where? In homes. In fact, I can make a much better case for Christians meeting in homes than in a church building, all right? I mean, it's just there over and over again. And so as a restoration people, this is easy for us. But the, the cool thing is not only is what we're talking about today biblical, but it's also effective. We live in a culture where people are yearning for relationships, where families have broken down and neighborhoods have broken down, and people are very lonely. And so when you put that together, we've got something very exciting. If you came to the Landmark Church in Montgomery and asked me, what is your vision for the Landmark Church? What would you like it to look like? Here's what I'd say. Go to Acts chapter 2 with me. Read these verses with me, verses 42 through 47. Here's what that first church was described as. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. How far were they willing to go? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is that not an awesome description? Well, what do you notice as you, you, you hear those verses? What do you notice about that early church? Now, I had to tell them yesterday, in Alabama, we call that a question. <laughs> and so this is, the, this is the place where you answer, all right? What do you notice when you read those verses? What was that church like? Just quickly. It was what? Yes. What else? Oh, they believed. They were devoted to one another. They spent time with each other. I mean, they're, they're meeting daily. I mean, man, they're sacrificing for each other. And guess what? Those people who didn't know the Lord were noticing. These people treat each other different than anybody else. They've got something that, that I don't have, and they're drawn to a point. Wouldn't you love this? To be a part of a church where people are being saved daily? Guys, that's what we've dreamed about all of our lives. And such a big part of this is these relationships they built where they met in their homes together, they sacrificed for each other. The key word to me in Acts chapter 2 is the word together. I love what one writer says, the greatest miracles in the book of Acts are not the miracles. It's the unity of God's people. Because if you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2, you've got people from all across the world who've gathered here, who stay in Jerusalem in this early church. It's a diverse group of people. You guys, the, the, the crazy thing about the early church was you had Jews and Gentiles, slave and free people, sitting in the same church. It was so crazy radical. 
Think about how divided our country is today. If we become the place where people can, can love each other despite their differences, what could happen? So that's our model. So here's, here's what I want to do for a little bit with you this morning. I want, I want to talk about, first of all, you've got your note here, why churches often fail at small group ministry. Because here's what happens. We read these scriptures. We get excited. Somebody says, we need to have small groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them. And then often they fail. And I want to give you some reasons that I see. Number one, churches fail because of divided leadership. You've, you've got to be united, and this is what you want to do. We made a, a decision years ago at Landmark, as we were going through a really explosive growth, that we were going to be a small group church. I, I think there's a difference in a church that does small groups. They've got lots of different programs. There's a difference in that in a church that is a small group church. And we knew the only way we could take care of the people God was bringing us was for us to do exactly what they did in Acts chapter 2. What would you do if you're in Acts chapter 2 and the church explodes to 3,000 members overnight? Well, you'd do exactly what they did. You, 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 would, you would put them in homes and you allow them to take care of each other. And so we figured that was a pretty good model. Amen? Just, just what they did there. So we decided when you come to Landmark, we're fully into this. You know, our elders will say, if you don't find one of our small groups, you probably won't be taken care of the way you could be. If you want to experience Landmark at its best level, it happens in small groups. So you've got to have a, a leadership that's united. I went to work for a church one time in Pensacola, Florida. Great church, been doing small groups for a long time. First thing I noticed, though, is there wasn't a single elder or a single minister that led a small group. That said to me, this is not that important. And so we rebooted small groups, renamed it, and every elder and every staff member led a small group. Because we wanted to say to the church, this is important. Number two is that low commitment. You've got to commit yourself to making this good. Now, you know, I'm the guest speaker, so I get to say what I want to say, and then I get to go home. So don't get mad at me, all right? I believe the most effective small groups meet weekly. Because, again, if our goal is to build deep relationships and to apply the word of God to our life, you need some consistency. I need to see you at least once a week, all right? Number three would be inadequate training. I think this may be the biggest reason churches fail in small group ministry. We decide we want to do small groups. We kick these groups out there. And so what we do is we put a lot of people like me and Randy out there, preacher types and Sunday school teacher types. And guess what? We're the worst small group leaders. Guess why? You can say it. We talk too much. Thank you. I've already done it, haven't I? We talk too much. We like to hear ourselves talk. Guys, the best small group leaders, and some of you could be incredible leaders, and you're never going to get up in church. You're never going to teach the Sunday school class. But you don't mind being a facilitator. You don't mind answering questions, listening to people, and interacting with them. And so what you've got to do, though, to teach that is training and so one thing I would encourage for this church, as much as anything I could leave you with, is make sure that all of your leaders is trained. We have, we have a rule at Landmark that nobody leads any of our small groups who's not been through our training. Why? Because we want to be successful. And there are certain dynamics of how you lead a small group. There are certain things you do, certain things you don't do. Number four, the reason I see many churches fail is because they have an extremely loose structure. Um, Every group's just sort of out there on their own. They meet as much as they want to. They study whatever they want to. 
And I believe that um, to be successful, there's got to be a structure that's supportive, where leaders are trained, where there's a common curriculum that unites us, where people know what's going on across the board in our small groups. And so one thing we do is we have um, uh, what we actually call small group deacons. I've got seven deacons I work with, and every one of them has three or four small group leaders under them that they just stay in touch with and encourage. Because if this is the backbone of our church and the lifeline for our church, we want to make sure that these leaders are encouraged and that they have some accountability about what they're doing. Number five would be stagnant groups. You've always got to be starting new groups. And I'm not saying that none of your groups can stay together. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. But I don't really want to see any group that's not open for new people to come. I got a group at home right now, and the the rumor at Landmark right now is they tell people they're full. I've got work to do when I get home, okay? We we, we always want to be able to make room for one more. And the best way for that to happen is if your group gets full, you you multiply. I'm trying to teach your elders a new word this weekend. Everybody say multiply with me. You multiply. What is the word we don't use? Divide or split. Split is a bad church word. Do you ever thought about that? We don't like to use that. And so here's, here's what I've been a part of many times is a, a healthy, vibrant group that finally we're not a small group. We're a small church. And, and so what we decided to do is, you know, we want more people to be able to experience this. And so we are going to become two groups so that more people can experience it. I know many of you are scared to death of that. And I was too. First time we were doing small groups in Pensacola, we had this group exploded and, and we knew by all the rules that we should multiply. And I just loved those people so much, I didn't want to. And finally, a brother came to me and said, you've been teaching us this. When are you going to pull the trigger? And we pulled the trigger, and, and guess what? It was an awesome experience. Because you know what? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the people that we're going to reach. And so you've got to be willing to, 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 to form new groups. My wife and I right now are having a really great time. We are leading a group for young married uh, couples, uh, engaged in young married couples, without children. But our rule is you can't even get pregnant in this group. <laughs> well, not really. Two of them just did recently. But um, we have just had a ball with these people. But see, what happened is we're looking out among our church, and we've got lots of what we've called young married groups. But the truth is now they're all in their 30s. You know how that is. Some of you are 50 years old and you're still in the young marriage class, okay? I mean, it it just is not what we thought it was. And so we we looked out and in our church, we had all these young married couples, engaged couples in their early, mid-20s. And they weren't plugged in anywhere in our church. If I look at the, the 10 couples associated with our group, I'll tell you, only two of them had ever really been plugged into our church. And, and quite a few of them been baptized since we started this group. And so you're looking, look around your church, what's a, an age segment or what's an intergenerational group you want to start that right now you're not meeting that need? What's a group of people that you're close to that you could say, you know what, Randy, help me out here, train me, let me go start a group in those areas. So you're, you're constantly forming group. Number six, a weakness is weak promotion. You know, our goal is every Sunday something said about small groups. Because again, we've said up front we're a small group church. This is the way we do church. I mean, you guys are a fairly large church. 
any church of any size, at some place you've got to get people in these pockets where they actually learn to know each other and love each other. That's what's so beautiful. So we constantly talk about this. When people come into our church, they're, they're taught about this. And then here's number one reason I think churches fail, is number seven, is, is just no vision. Okay? Some of you are sitting here and you're going, okay, buddy, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I'm thankful you'll be leaving this afternoon. <laughs> but um, what's the big deal about this? I've been in these small groups, and we just sort of sit around and eat a meal together, and nothing that big happens. Why, why are y'all making such a big deal about this? Guys, the big deal happens when you understand what can happen in those groups. When you begin to have a vision of what God can do to change people. Guys, the smaller the group, the more open the people. I mean, like in an audience like this today. We'll have an invitation into this service, and hopefully there'll be some people that will respond. But the truth is, most of us aren't going to sit on that front row and share our problems. But we need somewhere. We need some people to trust. The Bible talks often about the power of confession. The power of bearing one another's burdens. And so when you begin to have a vision of that, when you begin to have a vision of, you know what, our church can become, my best friends are here. My relationships are here. We we always ask this question. If you had a problem at 3 a.m., really bad problem and you need to help, do you have somebody in your church you could call? Now I'm looking around and I would guarantee you a vast majority of you do. But the people we're really thinking about are the people that are new to your community. The people that are new to the Lord. Have you given them a place where they go, you know what, I need some help. I mean, call that person. So let's talk about this vision. We read that vision in Acts chapter 2. And I want to boil it down to this acrostic. A small group is a place to share life. And I want to talk about that and tell tell you what I see happening when we get in these groups and we, we dedicate ourselves to them being great. You see, here's what I said to the leaders last night. And I, if you walk in that living room Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and you think we're just going to have a social hour, or we're just going to eat and have a little Devo, or we're just going to sort of make it through this, guess what? That is exactly what's going to happen. But if you've prayed over that living room and you believe that God could show up there in your midst and that people could take some growth steps and people could be open about things they need to be open about and people could be encouraged and by the time people leave that living room, they could be one step further down the line spiritually, then that's what can happen. So let me use this acrostic. First of all, a small group is a place to serve. This is how we serve each other. You know, a big church like this, you know, often it's hard to keep up with needs because we, we don't know each other's needs. And so you may have something going on in your life that I don't know about. But if we were in a small group, we would know about it. I think about one of my favorite groups I've ever been a part of, that group in Pensacola that finally multiplied. And it was a really cool group. And we had a young Christian in that group named Sandy Clark. She had just come to the Lord. She was a single mother. She had a 13-year-old daughter, and she had a terrible car. And it was breaking down all the time. And she was having a hard time getting to work and a hard time getting her daughter to school. My co-leader, who some friends here know, was a man named Bill Hatter. Bill was a great guy. 
And so one Sunday night, I'm walking up to Life Group, and I'm walking across the lawn, and over the side of the lawn, there's Bill Hatter. And I'm thinking, what's he doing over there? He said, buddy, buddy, come talk to me. I said, what's going on, Bill? He said, "Um, you know Sandy? I said, oh, yes. Uh, He said, her car's breaking down all the time, and she's having a hard time just making it. I'm taking up money tonight to get her car fixed. So by the end of the night, he'd taken up $400. What a retired military man, ex-Marine in our group named Paul Schrader. He had also recently been baptized, one of my favorite people in the world. And so Paul had all day long, so he took the $400. The next day on Monday, he drove to downtown Pensacola, showed up at Sandy's workplace, walked to her desk and said, would you give me the keys to your car? She said, what are you doing? She said, he said, we want to get this, this thing running so it doesn't keep breaking down. So while she's at work, he gets her car fixed and brings it back to her. Now, now can I ask you a question? At the Gateway Church in Pensacola, did we have a car fixing ministry? No, we didn't. But we did because we had a small group of people who cared about each other. You see, in some of our churches, what we try to do is we try to keep forming all these ministries. You know, you've got to have a ministry for everything and you wear yourself out. But here's what I found out. If I can just get my people in a small group where they find out about needs, they're taken care of. We were in a, a small group a couple years ago. It was another one of these sort of young married groups. And there was a couple who had just gotten married, Antonio and Nicole. Now, Antonio was an African-American man and Nicole was a white woman. Uh, they had dated in college and then broke up 10 times and decided to get married and we all were a little worried about them getting married because they had had such a volatile relationship, but they didn't listen to us, so they went to the courthouse and got married. Well, the bad thing about it was her parents rejected her. She was from Mississippi because she had married a black man. And so they, you know, they had gotten married. Now they're, you know, they, they started coming to our group, and this was really before it was a young married group, but, but we had sort of an older group at that point around our age, and they started coming to our group and every, the ladies in the group found out they had never had a wedding ceremony, never had a reception. And so our ladies went together one night and planned like a five-course meal, ordered a beautiful wedding cake. Antonio and Nicole didn't know, but they were there every week. And they walked into a house decorated to celebrate their wedding. And that night, that's all we did was celebrate their wedding. Now, do we have a wedding ministry landmark? No. But we do because we've got a small group that serves each other. And that's what I love. If somebody, you know, we used to have this crazy, what we called moving ministry. We had two deacons over the moving ministry. We about killed those men because they were always moving somebody. But now we say, you know what? Get in a small group. And when you need to get moved, they'll help you move. Guys, that's just the way we do ministry. We have a, a big party coming up in a few weeks. We call it Halcyon Neighborhood Party. That's the, the neighborhood we're in. We're working with the elementary school there. And so we throw just a big party on our front lawn for that whole neighborhood. Now, you know how we do it? We don't have a different... Every small group is in charge of a different booth or a different program at the party. We don't have to start a whole new organization. We, our, our, our goal is to work those things through small groups, and that's the way we serve you know, I've seen it where, you know, people are in trouble with their children. Their small group helped them. I've seen it where people, you know, where one spouse might be in prison and then the small group would stay, the, the, the ladies would stay back and pray while the men would go visit the person in jail. 
So it's a place to serve. The H is, it's a place to heal. Because there's a power of sharing. There's a study out there, and please don't take this wrong, but it says, if people have problems, the odds of them getting better, if they talk to a close friend or a counselor, are almost the same. If you're a counselor here, don't take me wrong. I believe in counseling. I think it's a, a powerful thing. But for many of us, all we need is someone close enough to go, you know what? I'm struggling with depression. Could you help me? I, I know you've been through this. Can we help each other? So it's a place to heal. I remember a few years ago, a lady named Sylvia came to our church. She worked in a, a plant outside of Montgomery. She was a pretty successful engineer. She worked with a young man named Christian Zena, and he was on fire for the Lord. And he invited Sylvia almost every week to church. And finally, one Sunday, she showed up. And I, I met her, and I said, Sylvia, so glad you're here. Uh, how did you know about Landmark? She said, Christian Zena. I said, well, why did you come? He said, she said, I got to get Christian Zena off my back. <laughs> so uh, she came. I could tell she was extremely uncomfortable. I called her later, and she said, could I come meet with you? And she came to my office, and I kid you not, she would not look me in the eyes. I sat in my chair. She got in the corner. She would stand in the corner, and she began to tell me about her life. She grew up in a little city in Alabama, Alex City. When she was 13 years old, her dad had cancer that would later take his life. And they were part of a, a small Baptist church there, and when the dad had cancer, one of the deacons volunteered to take her back and forth to youth group activities. Sounds good. Until you recognize that he molested her for four years. By the time I meet her, she's 38 years old. The truth is she's been in one affair with married men after another. Her life's a wreck. And she stands in that corner and she says, I've never told anybody this. And so I got her in our small group. When she first came to small group, she would not sit in the circle. She would sit in a corner all folded up. I mean, every limb folded over itself. I remember the first night after months she spoke out and said something. I remember the first night she sat in the circle and the group applauded. And slowly but surely, she unfolded and she began to open up about her life. And I've seen Sylvia come to a whole new place. If you come to our church now, she leads one of our youth groups, small groups, for young girls. And boy, does she know how to love them. But see, if we had not had a place for her to say that, she's never getting in front of the church and say that. If there was not a place for her to share, she would not have a place. Because you know what she needed? She needed to be to tell people the worst thing in her life and know they still loved her. And that's how people begin to change. So we want a place to serve. We want a place to heal. The A is we want a place to apply the Word of God. One of my beliefs is in Churches of Christ, we have information overload, okay? Well, you say, what are you talking about there? Is we, we, we introduce ourselves to so many different topics. If you're in a, a traditional church, you go to Sunday school and you're introduced to one topic. You stay around for worship, you're introduced to topic number two. You come back on Sunday night, we'll give you topic number three. And if you're brave enough to come back on Wednesday night, we give you topic number four. We've given you four different topics. I know that's not even a good way to learn. It's a terrible way to apply. Because, you know, 
by the time you get through with one, you've forgotten the other. And so what we've tried to do in our church, and, and again, I'm just telling you what we do. This is not what you've got to do. But, but whatever I preach about on Sunday morning is what our small groups discuss on the rest of the week, okay? So if I preach on the need of Bible study, then they need to go back to their, go to their small group and they'll apply that very specifically. If we're, pray, if we're talking about hope, if we're talking about depression, if we're talking about how you handle your money, if we're talking, whatever the topic may be, what we've done is we've paired two of those things. So whatever is talked about, hopefully you listen to the sermon. Now, what we believe that happens in our small group is application time. We up front say this is not normally our time for deep Bible study. This is our time to, to go back, to look at the passage, to study, to look at it, and then to go, what is this going to do in my life? How's this going to change me? You see, I don't know about you, but, but I forget. I mean, I'm the one preaching the sermon, and by Tuesday, I've forgotten it. You're going to shake my hand in the back, and you're going to forget it by after lunch, okay? And so what we're wanting to do is say, okay, we, 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 we've, we've heard the word. You know what the Bible says? You don't need just to hear the word. You need to be a doer of the word. That's when it makes a difference. Anybody can sit in this place and listen. The question is, is it going to make a difference the way you treat people at work on Monday? Is it make a difference the way you treat your wife, the way you raise your children? And so I'm just really fired up about this. because it, it, Not because I think my sermons are worthy to discuss, but because I know that we need to find a place to apply the Word of God. And that's the, that's the common curriculum we have among our group. So I will email all of our leaders their discussion guide on Thursday, uh, on, on Sunday in the foyer. They'll pick up a packet of lessons for their, their group to have. So I think that's a really important thing. We need a place to apply. I don't know about you, but I have a difficulty changing. I don't change easy, do you? You know, I, I've driven my wife crazy our whole life because I chew ice. Any of you chew ice? You know? My dentist actually gave me permission, and my wife is so mad. And, uh, and I know we have lots of dentists here, so don't come up to me afterwards. Um, yeah, the other day, I'm sitting with my son, Luke, and he's just crunching. It's so loud. <laughs> And I look at him and say, Luke, I know this is the most hypocritical thing I've ever said, but you need to stop chewing that ice. I've tried to quit it for years, but it's hard. Now, that's a little bitty, bitty, bitty example. But when it comes to big things in life, sometimes I'm challenged to change. How about you? But if there's a place I've got to go talk about it, is a place where I get on my own to set a goal, then I've got a much better chance to change. I'm going to apply the word. And then the R is for relate. It's a place for relationships. And that's how we started at the beginning. Because people need relationships so badly. Here's, here's the statistic. If someone new comes to this church, and they love it, they walk in here, they just love what's going on. Within six months, if they make six friends, just six, statistics say they won't ever leave your church. But, no matter how much they love it, if within six months they make zero new friends, almost 100% of those people will leave your church. So please listen to me. Many of you have been here for years. Thank God for that because you're the stability of this church. And that's why we need you to lead in this. But what we've got to think about is not those of us who have been here for years and have 10,000 friends. What we need is to think about that new person coming in, that new Christian that needs that place to build relationships. I think about a couple that we baptized, Johnny and Adrian Harper. They were a good-looking couple, full of personality. Johnny worked for Cisco Foods. 
Uh, Adrian had a great job. They had a little daughter. They, um, Johnny was a, a magician on the side. I mean, he just, I mean, so in his off time, he was doing magic shows everywhere. And he's really good at it. Well, they lived in Montgomery about three years. And, and, and one Sunday, they showed up at Landmark. And then I met him, and I, I said, well, well why, did, why did y'all come? And they said, well, we just wanted to check out this church. Well, a few weeks later, they got involved in our small group. And two months later, they were both baptized. And after they were baptized that Wednesday night, my wife and I, Stephanie, took them out to eat. And so I, again, tried to probe a little deeper, because they just showed up. They didn't know anybody. They just showed up. I said, why, why did y'all come? And Adrian said this. One night... We were in bed together, and we'd had a long day. We're new to Montgomery. We were sort of lonely. We were having some problems, and neither one of us could sleep. And I turned over to Johnny, and I said, Johnny, is there a soul in Montgomery, Alabama we could call right now to help us? And he said, no. And they decided they needed some good friends. And they knew, knew that church was the best place for them to make those friends. And you talking about thriving, it wasn't long before Johnny was one of our very best small group leaders. You see, guys, there's a great need for these relationships. And then finally, the E is for evangelize. What I love about small group ministry and life group ministry, it's a great place to evangelize. Years ago, Study said most people in America, you know, if you were going to leave them to the Lord, they would believe, and then they would come to church and belong, okay? And many of you remember the day where you could meet somebody and set up a one-on-one Bible study with them almost overnight, study the Bible with them, they become a Christian, then they come to church, then they get involved. So, so the old order was, you just convince them about Jesus, they believe, and then they're going to want to belong, well, we now live in a country where people are very leery of Christianity. They've seen all the scandals, and they're a little scared of us. And so the order has changed. Now if someone can come and belong, then they become open to believe. There's a girl in our small group right now, Kelsey Mills. Her and her husband, Joey, uh, moved to Montgomery a few years ago. She taught at a local school. Um, one of our members taught at that same school. She was from North Carolina. Her and Joy decided to get married. And she, needed, she was about to go wedding dress shopping. And Jessica, one of our members, said, well, who's going to go wedding dress shopping with you? She said, well, I thought my mom was coming down, but she can't come down. It's too far. And Jessica said, I'll go wedding dress shopping with you. And so she went shopping where they became big buddies. And before long, Jessica invited her to church. She came to church, and she sort of checked it out. After that, she came to our small group, started making good friends in there, and within just a few weeks, she was baptized. She had very little church background, doesn't know the Bible very well. In fact, I'll never forget the Sunday night, we were talking about Pontius Pilate, and she thought that was a place. And now we can laugh about it. And so now she's growing in the Lord. Her husband, Joy's become a Christian too. And just three weeks ago, we baptized another teacher from her school that she had started to bring to church. So what happened there, guys, if we had not had a good place for her to plug in and belong, unlike you and I, where just coming to church might be enough, 
She needed more. And, and now she's got relationships. And she's got some baggage in her life. Back when she was in college in Michigan, she had a terrible incident with a man that did the worst thing to her. She had fled to Alabama to go to Troy University just to get away. And that's how she met Joey. And so now she needs that place to heal. She needs that place to talk. She needs that place to be loved on. She belonged and then she believed. And so what I love about small groups is, is they become a big part of the evangelism of your church. You know, some people are going to go to your small group first before they ever darken this building. More times than not, what I've found is the first place people are going to show up is in this room. And they're looking for something different. But they're not ready to sit in a small group in a circle and answer questions. And so they come in here where they can sort of hide. You'll probably see some of them this next hour. They're just sort of checking it out. They want to know if we're for real. They want to know if, if they have to be afraid of us. And then, if you're a small group leader doing your job, you're going to invite them to your small group. And then they're going to experience church on a level they never even knew about. That, that's what Joey and Kelsey say over and over. We, we didn't know churches even did this. This is, this is crazy. But now these have become our very best friends. I think of a man who was baptized in our church a few years ago. He actually showed up at our church as a homeless man. And he walked in the building, and um, he was greeted by a guy. And before long, people just loved him. His name was Doug Boyer. And Doug Boyer was penniless. He had an old van that was breaking down. So he started coming to our church. And about a month later, he walked forward to be baptized. And he handed me this letter to read. And in the letter, what he told me was about all the people who had helped him since he'd come to Landmark. He said, Mark Loudermilk, he welcomed me. Jim and Jill Sanderson made sure I had a meal to eat. Al Crosby hired me at his electrical company. His brother Harvey helped me get a car that ran. Carla Amos taught me how to read. Bobby Reeves studied the Bible with me. So he's named all these people. And he said, God has been so good to me. And now I need to give my life to him. And you know, I recognized when I read that, those were the people in his small group. They had all come together. We'll talk about that in the next service. They'd all come together to help him. Guys, I believe in this because I see people's lives change. I see them change drastically. And God uses people like you and me to make a big difference. There's just something special that happens when we go back to that New Testament pattern of the church meeting in large assemblies and also being in those homes where people share meals together and they apply God's Word together and they love each other. So I'm so thankful for what you're doing. I'm so thankful that your shepherds and Randy wanted us to spend a weekend just dreaming about this. And so I, I, I beg you, some of you say, well, I've had a bad experience in small groups. Okay, I understand that. I have to. That happens. Anybody ever had a bad experience at a restaurant? Raise your hand. <laughs> Any of you guys stopped eating at restaurants? No. You just keep on trying, right? And I challenge you, if you've had a bad experience or you're not too sure about this, give it a shot. I'll never forget a guy named... Um, Randy Owen, who came to our church. He was an older man. 
He came from a much more traditional Church of Christ, and he thought small groups were absolutely unscriptural. And so he, he was just mad about it. And so he would come to church every Sunday. He sat about right here. Sitting right here is a guy named Melvin Sykes, an older man who led one of our best small groups. Every Sunday he would invite Randy to small group. It took him three years to get him to come. And he finally came. And a few years after that, Randy got cancer. And every time I went to the hospital to visit him, guess who was there? It was the members of his life group. And when he died, I stood up to preach his funeral. And I noticed who the pallbearers were. They were the men in his life group. And his son cornered me afterwards, who lived out of state, said, I cannot tell you what dad's life group meant to him. Guys, I've seen people very leery about it. Learn how to live life together. It changes everything. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time together, Lord. God, thank you for this good church full of so wonderful people. And Lord, I pray, God, that we will catch a vision of your son Jesus, that we will catch a vision of what he could do through us, that we'll catch a vision of, of small groups being more than maybe they've been in the past. God, that we could all have these stories. Lord, I could tell these stories the rest of the day of people who I've seen greatly affected because we decided... To, to, to create a place where they could be known and be loved. And so, Father, just um, be with us. And God, would you, through your spirit, give us this vision. And then would you give us the courage and the dedication and the commitment, God, to make it happen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Randy.